Hi, I'm Teresa Sutherland, writer and director of Lovely Dark and Deep. I'm here to invite anybody who wants to to go camping with me. Because if you're going to geek out, geek hard. Welcome to Geek Hard. Here are your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green, those boys. Welcome to Geek Hard, everybody. Andrew Young here with Mr. Green. And this is Geek Hard. As always, we're changing every day in every possible way. Yep. Yep, yep. (laughs) It was an interesting week. It's been an interesting week. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I know some of you are surprised that we're doing podcast only right now. Uh, we will not be on Reality Radio 1, Radio 101 for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and that is because our, our good man, our man at the boards, Yuri, he's a bit under the weather. He's dealing some stuff. So, uh, Yuri, we hope you get well soon and we'll see you back here on the old geek card boards in the next few weeks, hopefully. Yeah, and, and and for those who are listening, it isn't that he just runs the boards. He he runs the whole enchilada. He's the big head cheese over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Reality Radio 101 is Yuri. Yuri is Reality Radio 101. Yeah. They are, they are intrinsic. Yeah, like it, if it was just somebody who needed to run some, you know, some audio stuff on the boards, well, we could have we could have made that work. But we need we actually need the station to Yeah, run. Yuri is the board. Yeah. Well, he, so you can't really run Yuri. No, he's he's seventy five percent mechanical. That's right. That's right. That's probably true. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Maybe after this. Maybe even, even more, like eighty five percent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hey, if you're not though, we're here in podcast form for the next few weeks, podcast only. So come check us out, and uh, we got a great show for you this evening. Later on in the program, you're going to hear an interview I did with Teresa Sutherland, the director of Lovely, Dark, and Deep, which was one of the films that played at last month's Toronto After Dark Film Festival. I got a chance to talk with her. We talk about the film and more. We've also got a movie review coming your way from another film festival that just wrapped up this past week, and that is the Blood in the Snow Film Festival. We'll be reviewing the movie Romy. And uh, in just a few minutes' time, you're going to get to hear another interview I did with the cast, the main cast, and the director of the Canadian comedy, Who's Your Father? A PEI comedy about a PEI PI. Prince Edward Island, private investigator, right there. (laughs) Say that 10 times fast. There you go, PEI PEI, can't do it. No, you can't. It's, it immediately you get dis. You just you're just discontinued from saying anything. Right, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, coming to digital and VOD on December twelfth, and we'll be going to Paramount Plus in twenty twenty four. So we'll hear about that movie as well. But right now, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, you're going to get to hear that interview right here, D Card. You make it look easy. Oh, you. 
everybody. Jimmy the Short Order Cook here, asking you, what's better than listening to Geek Heart? Answer, listen to Geek Heart while wearing a Geek Heart t-shirt. And there's a place you can get them at tpublic.com slash user slash Geek Heart. We got a bunch of great shirts there. We got Geek Heart shirts. We got a Mr. Green's Tasty Meat shirt. Hell, we got a Back Issue Bloodbath shirt. For all your geek needs with your geek merch, you want to go to tpublic.com slash user slash geek heart. I'm not just asking you. I'm telling you. Welcome back to Geek Hard. Now, back to your hosts, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Hard. By the way, you know, uh, I haven't mentioned this. I want to say a big thank you for the old man stepping in to yeah. work the boards tonight. Yeah, well, sort of work the boards. I work the boards. I do it, you know, just like... Yeah, up and close. You got to be careful. You got to keep your stick in the right. You can't go too high on the stick when you go into the boards, right? You know that, right? Yeah, no, I give her the old how she going and just right in the, <laughs> right in the corner. You got to work just all in the corners, you know. That's, okay. Well, that's it's because you're, you're, because you're playing for, for the game stick. That's what you're playing for. Oh, you know it. You know, that's, what's the game stick? So, you know, the cone after the, after the game. What, what game? The game that we're playing right now. We're playing a. Oh my God! I didn't realize we were playing a game. I thought we were just getting in the corners and saying, "Hey, how's she going?" That's all. Yeah, no, that's not how that. Uh, no? no, no, nobody just goes into the corners to say, "How, hey, how's it going?" I don't know. He's like, sometimes I go down to the corners. I see some people, and it's like, "Hey, you're down at the corners. That's great. You want to go to the the pub?" You're 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 uh, you're, you're you're cruising out there, looking for good times. Well, I'm just saying hey to the people I know. You know, I'm like a local hero. So, you know, everybody kind of stops and goes, hey, it's the old man. He's still kicking it. And I'm like, yes, I am. And then I huh? high-five the kids and I help, I help a young lady across the street. And, uh, you know, I just do that. That's, that's why I'm in the corners. Yeah, I know. I, I saw you uh, helping uh, one time. Uh, I think she was like uh, in her 80s or 90s. So it Yeah, was she's like, just a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good for you. It's good for you yeah, to, you know, to give back. That's what I do. That's what I do. You know, and that's what I'm doing with you guys tonight. You know, and like, and I'm saying, hey, this is Geek Card. You know, I, yeah. I have Andrew. Thank you for writing out the script for me. Oh, you're welcome. It's really just a card. Yeah, but you know, it has everything I need to say, and I appreciate that. So, you guys carry on. Do the whatever it is you do here. I don't actually know. I just show up. I say a few words, and I leave. And I think the show becomes less of a draw once I do. So I'll just stick around and watch and see what you actually do this time. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. So we're back on Geek Card. And uh, <laughs> I think it's time we, uh, we get into our first interview of the evening. I got a chance to uh, talk with the director and cast of Who's Your Father? Uh, of course, Chris Locke, Susan Kent, and director Jeremy Larder. And uh, here's what they had to say. Let's take a listen right now. 
So welcome to the program, guys. It's good to uh, see you all. First of all, I'm just going to ask, uh, who's your father? Jack Kent. Uh, I have a couple. <laughs> now, of course, Jeremy, you cast your slut father in this film, correct? Yeah. How'd you know not, that? What a good Easter egg. You're very perceptive. Yeah, that was that's my father. I've always wanted to cast him as a slut father, and I got my chance. Was it something about him you know, that he was ripe for the role to be a slut father? Well, I don't want to cast aspersions against you know. I'm staying at my parents' house while I'm in PEI, so I got to be careful what I say. He was a slut at least twice, we know of. Yeah, I, I've got a brother. I've got a brother too. So yeah. At least twice. There you go. There you go. For people who haven't seen the film yet, what's Who's Your Father all about? Well, Who's Your Father is a story of uh, a bumbling PEI PI named Larry Constable, played by Chris. He's kind of struggling in his life. He's in his 40s and divorced and uh, doing some pretty pathetic uh, investigation cases like looking for casserole dishes. When he gets hired by a rich seafood tycoon named Luke Thorne, played by Matt Wells, who hires Larry to investigate black market lobster sales on the other side of the island. So when Larry goes to work on the case, he meets Rhonda Perry, played by Sue, who is a convenience store owner trying to manifest a soft serve ice cream machine. And when Larry and Sue, Larry and Sue, <laughs> when, Larry, when Larry, pretty much, pretty much when Larry and Rhonda get together, they get into a wild PEI adventure together. Watching the film was a lot of fun. It's that classic trope of a let's do like a film noir, but instead let's do it with people that have no business being in a film noir, like the big uh, Lebowski yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's the magic right there. Uh, Chris, Larry Constable seems like the role you were born to play. Like I've seen your stand-up for years. I've seen your improv for years. Of course, the parts you play. But this seems like one that you could – really sink your teeth into and just have the chance to throw out a lot of non sequiturs. Did Jeremy give you a lot of freedom with the character? Did you get to put a lot of your own ideas into it? Yeah. Well, you know, the script right away, it had to be me. I thought they would have been stupid if they hired anyone else. I just knew what I could do with it. And I was weirdly aggressive about getting the role. Maybe not as much in Jeremy or Sue's face, but in my mind. And to my agent, they knew because the script was already right teed up perfect for me. It was like this wonderful, like silly slapstick Fletch style, like comedy. And that, which I've been dying to do all my life since I was a kid and watched all those comedies since I was a kid. And then on the day when we were making it and, you know, we rehearsed a bit together over Zooms before going out to PEI. Jeremy's incredible about letting us play and discover stuff as well. So there was a lot of creativity between the three of us, which created a basically fun party environment, which I feel like the finished product has that vibe all throughout it. So I'm really proud of all, all of that coming together like that. Susan, of course, uh, you know, you as well, you're hilarious in this film. We actually had you on the show back during the pandemic. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you again as well. This character, what I really like is that, again, Rhonda is basically the femme fatale of the story except where it's not the character isn't conniving to hurt the hero but more just like the the crazy antics of the character just happenstance hurt the hero so what was it like putting your take of the femme fatale into this comedy Ah, that's so funny. I never thought of her as the femme fatale. I really thought of Dio as the as the femme fatale. To me, she was more like the absolute crazy shithouse rat that <laughs> happened to like seize the guy when he's coming in and 
has that incredible ability that certain people have to be like, I will have for whatever reason. And for <laughs> the reason is I want my machine. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I want to get in on this. I can see my way in. I can get what I want. But then it's like by her uh, openness to the universe and her attempts at uh, manifesting, it's like she gets the thing that she really wants. She gets the thing that she really needs, which is like partnership, you know, being seen, all the things that like people actually want. So I think she's more like just her devotion to her personal crazy. You brought up Tio there. Amazing cast you got put together here, of course, Steve Lund in here as well, and Jess Salguero. When it was coming to like the casting of this film, was it very much like you knew the people you wanted right away, or did it take a while to figure out exactly which actors for this? Well, it did take a while. I wrote the part of Rhonda for Sue. I had her in my head the whole time as I, as I was writing it and just prayed that she would say yes one day. And Sue was the first actor who came on board. So once we had Sue, like she's really well respected. And when people saw that she was attached to the project, it made a big difference when we were looking for other actors. And then that can't be true. It is true. I swear. <laughs> I swear it is true. So then next was Chris. Chris and Sue read together. And they just had a spark. There was just like some magic between the two of them that you can't really describe. It's just there and you know it when you see it. And then from there, once Chris and Sue were on board, there was still a process of finding people in the casting. You know, there's like different things that happen that some are unexpected and there's scheduling issues. And, you know, this wasn't an easy movie to make with the with the schedule that we had. We only had 18 shooting days mm -hmm. and actors had to come and go. Chris and Susan were there the whole time, but other actors had to come and go. So it was a bit of a long process. But again, through the connections, Steve Lund and Dio are good pals. They used to live like next to each other in Toronto. They were good, good buddies. So once one was on board, the other one came on board. And Jess was like the last character that was cast. And she just has like a really busy schedule because she's working a lot. And yeah. it was just a great stroke of luck yeah. that we were able to get her in the movie. Yeah, she just happened to have a free 18 days or a few few days. That's great. There you go. Come and just like throw her diamonds on us. Yeah. <laughs> Across the board, great little cast here for this. And it's it's a lot of fun. Gotta say, I love a lot of the one-liners in this. Like for me, probably my favorite is Heels on Grass. You know she's rich and things yeah. like that. Do you guys... You guys have a particular favorite line from the movie? I'm really glad they kept when Rhonda and Larry are just feeling these weird vibes together for the first time in his van. I'm glad they kept me saying, we're in our 40s. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, I'm just saying the thing and it's just so matter of fact, but it hits so hard because, yeah, no one says that in the movie. Like, I like that beat. And the line that you just quoted was, you came up with that line. Which line? Heels, heels on grass. Oh you know, God. she's rich. Yeah. Ooh, I like the, I like the line, heels on grass. She must be rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sex rubbers is another line that I like in the store when they first meet. And she says, you wouldn't believe how many rubbers we sell before closing time. And then Chris says, oh, wow. Sex rubbers? <laughs> yeah. Sex rubbers. I mean, I love that. No, oh, it's it's a good line. So, Jeremy, this whole script came about because you were writing a, like a film noir type script, and then you reached out to the only detective you could find in PEI who was just about to retire. Is that correct? That, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, I was kind of like trying to write a straight film noir script that was like going to be easy to make and like very simple and three characters at a cottage in PEI. And then it kind of like started to change. And then 
I, the, a private investigation character came into it and then I called the, the only PEIPI I could find in Google and uh, asked him like, what was it like? What's it like to be a to private eye in PEI? And uh, he was just like totally disgruntled and was like about to get out of the business because he was complaining about how hard it is. Like all of his family members would call him and want to spy on other family members. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, this is just nuts. Like I, this is way, this place is way too small to be doing this. That was like the real spark. Of like, okay, that's that's a good premise for a movie, like a, a PEIPI. Like, how can you do it? You know, as long as you got a van and a couple of fake trees, I guess. That's really what yeah. it comes down to. <laughs> that's all you need. The scenes with stuff like with the fake trees and stuff, like that. there's a lot of fun use of, you know, props here and there. Was there a lot of like when you'd get it, you know, into a scene and it's like, oh, okay, I got to carry these two trees around and do something with it. Did you have like a lot of like creative ideas on like, what if we do this? What if we do that? Like, was there a lot of humor that came out of the particular props that were in the script? Well, funny actually that you bring up that particular scene because that was, that was like an 11th hour solved by you. Yeah. The well, trees weren't, weren't intended from the oh, beginning. No. no, the trees came into the script out of necessity actually, because originally we the script called for a cottage that was on the dunes. That was like actually like in a sand dune, basically. And they were going to be like taking cover in the grass on the dunes. Mm. And when we could find a location like that, and we actually found a great cottage that didn't have that. The trees had to come in because of that. We're like, how are we going to do this? You know, we kind of came up with the idea of using these trees. And at first I was like, how are we going to, like, these trees are so crazy. How are we going to keep incorporating these fake trees and all these different <laughs> things? And I had like panic moments. I'm like, is this too nuts? Like these <laughs> trees, like this is insane. Like they're actually really yeah. heavy. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Scale them down so Chris could actually. They like, kind of cut them. up my fingers a bit. Yeah. Yeah. and he's oh, very. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very and I'm allergic to fake trees. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's he, that's he yeah, he powered through it. Yeah. Powered through. You're a trooper, man. You're a trooper. My God, you really suffered for this, Chris. You did, and of yeah. course, uh, Susan, you've mentioned that you got a hernia from laughing at Chris during oh this God. film. So I got to ask between the two of you. Who broke more on set? Oh, I think we were like equally yeah. destroyed by the end. Yeah, we were having a lot of fun the whole time. It was just a giggle fest, honestly. It was. And like Chris is never not hilarious. So like there were times when it was just like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Because in between takes, during takes, the entire crew, we'd be all on the floor laughing because he just had us going the entire time. So it's like, which is such a gift, really, because sometimes you'll be doing something and it's like, you know, you have to be in the feeling of that thing that you're doing in order to, like, deliver the right tone of it. Mm. And so it, there was no problem because you just it was like popping a happy pill, you know, when you're going to work every day. Just That's true. I will say Jess Salguero yeah. broke more than anyone. She she could not be in a scene with Sue and not laugh. She just cracked up so much at, in every time. Like, and there's a scene where the three of them so are like, the, the scene where the three of them are in a car together, they were all kind of like enclosed in the car. They yeah. couldn't see out. It was really was hot best. that day. <laughs> yeah. They were just like going bananas. They were like just in like another zone of giggling it and, was, and laughing. It was crazy. Yeah. I think it was hard for you guys to cut that scene. It, it was, but, but it was so funny. And as I was editing that scene too, I, I started getting into the giggles and like <laughs> starting to go hysterical watching it. Yeah. And that's another one of my favorite lines is like, did Hank die because of a nightmare? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He died in his sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was just like, Jess just could not handle She was just breaking up every time Chris said something. I like think that. that's what I love and like, I'm so proud of this movie. All of that 
like joy from the beginning of the process to the end is in the movie and it comes out and i saw like a theater full of people responding to that wholeheartedly like laughing from beginning to end so it's i'm really happy that afterwards when we left and we're like well good luck you know they really put it together like music editing especially jeremy's vision he stuck with it and yeah it's just I feel like that infectious uh, giddiness transcends uh, the making of it and comes out on the screen and infects the new people watching it. Yeah, I can see that because, yeah, it's just I like you you talked earlier, Jeremy, about saying that is this too nuts? And I feel like you all kind of took the route of like, just keep going more nuts with it as nuts as you can get with it. And that just kind of the crazy hilarity comes out of it. The other thing I was really surprised is I never thought that a fish allergy would be important in a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we had one take. Oh, yeah. One take. Yeah, one yeah. Take. And it worked out. Everybody was like, every team was so on top of it. And we like, we went out, we were in this motel and we went out with the thing that I throw in her face, but they like, we, we were trying different things and I was throwing it at a tree. It was like, we got one take to do this reel in front of camera, but like everybody was so ready. And then of course, Dio just killed it with a reaction mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's a it's a great scene also chris you're seeing with steve there the uh the fight that's like it's fun to see like an action scene that's also like really comedic did you ever think you get the chance in your life to do an action scene like that no not at all especially with a giant more <laughs> handsome man <laughs> It was a pleasure and a honor for me to just be able to touch his hand with my hand. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like on the day you're like, you just listen to Jeremy, like we're going to do the slow-mo ourselves or I can't give it away too much, but yeah, to do this all ourselves. And it's like, okay. And then you just say yes to it and dive right in. And again, it like comes out on film totally in, in vibe with the rest of the movie. And yeah, it totally works. And yeah, the, they were doing their version of it uh, on the inside uh, as well. And th- yeah, that, that whole scene, the whole movie works. It's insane. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think, you know, I, I thought maybe in my future as an actor, there would be scenes where they're not funny and I'm killing someone and then I get the death penalty or something. But that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard you talk about it before. It's true. There's not a lot of like modern day PEI stories, you know, they really, you know, have a focus on the people now. Like, yes, they do a lot of, you know, period pieces that take place in PEI, but this is like one that actually focuses on people who are living life now. How important is it for you to get that story out there? For me, uh, it's it's everything. I remember when I was about 20 or 21, Mike Clattenburg from the Trailer Park Boys, I came to Charlottetown. And I went to, he's just doing a talk and I, and I came there to listen to him. And then I got to talk to him for a few minutes afterwards. And he was just like, you know what? Like your stories are important. Like your culture is important. And the stories that you have growing up, you don't have to grow up in New York. You don't have to grow up in some other place. Like your stories of living in PEI are important and should, you should make those stories. And that really had a profound effect on me and kind of totally changed the way I thought about writing movies. So at that point, I was just like writing ripoffs of Reservoir Dogs basically you know what i mean like bank movie you know so like that had a really you know um really big impact and it made me realize that like i should be focusing on the life around me and i have been ever since like like most of the movie takes place in and around where i grew up on the north shore of pei Mm -hmm. and i like incorporating my friends and to have them involved and on screen too and and to show the world that i grew up in definitely so are we gonna see a another film 
starring Chris and Susan, where it's a PEI version of Reservoir Dogs. Uh-huh. <laughs> we love that. We love that. Amazing. Yeah, we've talked about doing other things. Like I remember, you know, we've, we've talked about like wanting to work. I'd love to work with them on anything. I love working with them. I'd love it if you just, yeah, pull the trigger down there. You hear the bang. You don't see the murder, but the blood splashes on my face. That'd be sick. <laughs> there we go. There we go. We should just make a whole movie of that. There you yeah, go. we'll make that. We'll make that dream come true for Chris one day. <laughs> oh well, I want to thank you guys for talking with me today. Really enjoyed the film. As I said, it was a lot of fun. That was so awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to more people getting to check out. Of course, it's coming to VOD and digital on December twelfth, and we'll be coming to Paramount Plus in twenty twenty four. Well, I want to thank you guys for talking with me today, and I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks yeah, so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. It was a pleasure. And that was my interview with Chris Locke, Susan Kent, and director Jeremy Lauder of Who's Your Father? As I said, Who's Your Father? Coming to digital and VOD on December 12th and will be coming to Paramount Plus in 2024. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Mr. Green and I will be giving our review of the Blood in the Snow Film Festival selection, Romy, right here. Set the scene on broken man Kerosene and a little lamb just enough light to make out a figure. Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks, picking up comic after comic, talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy? What kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about? I don't go outside. Well, thank goodness for Back Issue Bloodbath with Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Well, we talk about comics old and new. Mostly old. But sometimes new. Every Wednesday, new episodes drop at geekartshow.com or wherever you catch your pots. Check it out and have yourself a good. Welcome back to Geek Card. We're still doing this. Here they are, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Wow. Only the third segment. He's already getting bored. Okay. Yeah, he's worn out. We've worn <laughs> him out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so, yeah. So, we're back. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. And uh, we're about to talk about a film that I saw and that Mr. Green saw through the Blood in the Snow Film Festival. It just... Wrapped up last week. It was the twentieth, November twentieth to the twenty fifth, at the Isabel Bader Theater in Toronto, and uh, it's a like a huge amount of Canadian feature films, shorts, web series, proof of concept films, all of the horror genre for the most part. And uh, I got to see. I actually got to go live to a couple. Of the films, I just want to mention a couple of honorable mentions of stuff before we get into our review of Romy. Uh, I got to see a short called T-Bone, directed by Zachary Bennett, which uh, starred, um, oh, geez, what's their names? The, the uh, you know, uh, the guy, the British guy who lives in Canada who we, we really like, that we've seen in a bunch of stuff, that uh, he was on Supernatural, and he... Uh, oh, he, uh, uh, Mark Shepard. No, not Mark Shepard. Oh. Julian Richings. There we go. 
if you're going to mention a, an English dude living in Canada, Mark Shepard on Supernatural, Mark Shepard is going to be the right. first. Guy. I know, I know, I know, I know. But Julian Richings. Yes, Julie. no, Julian Richings. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, we love Julian Richings. Yeah, and then is it Jean Yoon? Is that her name from... Uh, from oh man, I'm terrible tonight. Uh, from Kim's Convenience, is that her name? Oh, uh, man, yeah, it's been forever. Forever being like three years ago. Um, <laughs> well, that's forever in geek card times. Well, definitely in my brain, you know how that. Uh, yeah, Gene Yoon, yeah, Gene Yoon, yeah. So the two of them, it's uh, it's basically it's two people sitting in a car. Seems like they're having a fun time, but then you find out that something is actually happening that one of the people in the car doesn't realize yet. And mm. uh, it really hit me. That was an amazing short. I got to see a feature film called Purgatory Jack, where basically a girl overdoses. She ends up in purgatory, and she's full of blood that is like dr a drug there that people, it's like hard currency. They want to get the blood out of her. But uh, she finds refuge with Purgatory Jack, played by another geek card guest alumni, Tim Rozon. Ah, oh, Tim. Yeah. And then, I, and then I also got to see a great proof of concept short called Tiger by the Tail, which uh, is basically about drug runners. And uh, it's kind of like drug wars between the strip club and these other uh, dealers and stuff. And it starred uh, a recent geek card guest, Tasha Tellis. Ah, so got nice. to see a lot of great stuff at the festival. But we're here tonight to talk about a film that played also at the festival called Romy. Directed by Robert Cuffley, written by Susie Maloney, produced by Nevermind Films, and will be making its way to the Super Channel Fuse station at some point. Here to read the synopsis is our good friend, the old man. Oh, uh, this is the part I remember. This is this is what this I usually is, do, this right? Is, yeah, this is your normal. This is this is me in my element, right? Yeah, yeah. This is there it. we go. This is why we you pay we pay you the big bucks for this. That's right. You pay me the medium bucks. Alrighty, so forced to hide out at a state-of-the-art smart home, a young woman on the run is terrorized by Romy, its sinister digital assistant. Oh, I hate it when digital assistants are bugging me and stuff. Like, hey, do you do you, do you want to purchase a bag? Say uh, you have your optimum card. You're gonna scan that before you scan your purchases. Oh, they just asked me so many damn questions yeah they do non-stop all the time yeah yeah i don't like it so if it's like this is this a whole movie about her like her she's trying to fill a bag at chopper's drug mart yeah no that's exactly what it's like that's what oh. the whole movie's about it is a horror movie then all right i'm gonna I, I gotta recover from that just thinking about that all right and there he goes <laughs> okay so mr green you got to watch romy Yes, I did. What are your thoughts on the film? Um, <clears throat> well, as I have mentioned many times on this show uh, over the years, I am not a person who is afraid of technology. I am also not one of those people who is, you know, a harbinger of doom when it comes to uh, AI and uh, our future robot overlords. Um, I love you guys. You guys are amazing. Um, for when you do take over, I am here to help you. Um, but uh, this film, well, I thought was going to go down that road, and I was fully prepared for that. It's not quite 
what you what like what we are led to believe. Yeah, like the description not, yeah. and the and the, and the everything. It's not exactly that. There is a very strong um supernatural element to this to this movie. Uh, obviously being, you know, blood in the snow, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh but technology this is this is an interesting one because I think this is um a really nice mix of technology and and some of and some commentary on technology but also that kind of you know spooky supernatural you know experience that you know somebody who's going to something like blood in the snow um you know or just in general likes horror films is going to be looking for as well and i think uh that played really nicely and that kind of defied my expectations a little bit because like i said i was really expecting this just to be like you know crazy ai gone out of control scenario and it's not exactly that yeah no it's more of a it's more of a murder mystery yeah there's there's that element obviously uh you know and then the the interactions between the technology and the supernatural that is you know an interesting uh play of things that are going on here and you know like it uh it's a small piece right like it's it's not it's not a one room mystery you know obviously well it's a one house mystery but um, it's very, very simple locations. There's only like two in the whole damn movie, really. Yeah, yeah. There's the house and then there's a road. That's about it. And, um, oh, no, sorry. I forgot three because there was the office uh, yeah. of the mother. I forgot about that one. Right. Again, limited locations also makes perfect sense on a limited horror budget. Um, but with what they did, like the house, oof, that house, that, uh, I, I don't know. I'm assuming it's somewhere in BC because just that's that that house looks like it's in BC. Mm. You know, it just has that kind of look. Um, that was a nice looking house. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever want to live in it, especially after watching this movie. <laughs> but uh, it's a really nice looking house, and I, you know, obviously they spent a good part of the, part of their budget renting that place to to film in there and do things. And uh, but it, it's a really nice piece. It kind of encapsulates what i like my envisionment of of uh, an ai super house would be like right and uh yeah it was like that's that's super cool but of course you know the technology aspects you know having cameras everywhere and like getting into your life and you know that that element of it you know while i'm an optimist on a lot of this stuff i do worry and concern about such things and and, you know and it was but like i said I, i like the way that they handled some of that mixing it in with the supernatural element of the murder mystery of what was going on there and how it all relates and interacts with each other. Mm. And uh, yeah, the only, my only like real strong complaint uh, about the movie itself is just like, there are some pacing issues, but again, I understand like with small budget films that this becomes a thing sometimes um, where I was like, "Ah, I think this could have probably been sped up a little bit. Or maybe something else expanded here. But um, other than that, like, I like the cast. I thought uh, most of them were doing a half-decent job with what they were given. And uh, like I said, the set piece of the place, of the house itself, uh, really added to the overall uh, overall experience. Yeah, no, I thought I thought the uh, the production value in the, the house that they chose and mm-hmm. the uh, the elements of Romy as the the digital assistant and all of the technology goes that was done very well in this 
Um, I felt that the antagonist of the piece, like the true antagonist of the piece, was a little bit, you know, standard. You know, it's like, okay, we're not really going to put a lot of depth into this. It's just going to be like, it's going to be one of these stories. It's like, okay, that's well, cool. With that, if when you go that character, you kind of have to go that route because it's like there's somebody that uh, that is acting a certain way and that's how they would act in real life too. So I get that. Yeah. And to your point, like I, I think that that character without giving too much away here, I think that character, they could, that's one of the places where I think they could have done some more work. Yeah. It just seemed a little bit too cliched in the way that he, he was responding to things and he was talking and it's like, it's very obvious in the beginning of the second act that there's going to be problems with this character in the third act, like they're yeah. setting, it's like they 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 kind of show their hand a little bit too easily, in my opinion. Yeah, because the the red herring of what you think it is, or you're they're trying to get you to think it is to keep you off the scent. Uh, it's a little too like it's it's not enough. Like yeah. it's the one pro- again. It's another problem when you have, and I get it, limited budget and all that stuff. But when you have. Um, limited cast members you are limiting your options right and if you're not bolstering that by providing certain characters with some extra elements that can you know layer things in a little bit and that and the character that we are talking about i think hints at a at a at at some current events in their Mm. psychology yeah that makes sense but uh, I think could have been layered in a little bit earlier and a little bit more subtly and then built that up a bit more. And then, yeah. and then the red herring, I think could have had a little bit more sinister and a little bit more off putting and, you know, and just kind of play those two against each other, maybe a little bit more, you know, or maybe even think about doing something like maybe making it look like the two things are related Right, and I get more, I, more yeah. than, than they were. Right, exactly. And again, I can see from the direction here and the story they're trying to tell that the idea is Maddie, the main character, is the only character that you, the, you, the the audience is supposed to like and trust. Mm-hmm. And so, because of that, all the other characters are given particular slants to either make you go, "I don't like them" or "I don't trust them." And thankfully, uh, Alexa Barra is—I think that's how you say her name, Baraha. Yeah, yeah, sounds about let's right. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Let's go with, yeah, yeah. She, uh, she's likable, so that's a good. That's yeah. No, I, yeah. I think I, I, I really actually really liked her. I thought uh, again, sometimes in these smaller independent independent films, uh, the lead can you know have moments, but I, I think overall, I think like her performance and what she's bringing to the you know bringing to the screen throughout, I was like, yeah, you know what, I can I could totally buy her. Like not only in this role, but like becoming somebody down the road, and and that's not a slant on anybody or uh, you know a slam against anybody else in this. Uh, it was just like, you know, I, I I thought that was a benefit to the film. Yeah, no, totally, totally, yeah. Overall, you know, I thought I thought it was an interesting film, and I thought it, it went pretty good. So, are you saying that when it does get released, that people should check it out? 
Uh, yeah, I think if you're looking for something, uh, especially if you're in a horror a horror genre uh, scenario, I, I would say uh, you could give that a, give that a check. Um, you know, also if you're interested in like that AI stuff and you know and whatever, and a little bit with some of the supernatural, I think this will fit a this will check off a lot of boxes, and you can give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. I think it's a it's a it's a good time, a good watch. Definitely check it out, and. Uh... That's what we get from Blood in the Snow Film Festival. We get some good watches, and uh, I want to thank the Blood in the Snow Film Festival for having me at the fest yes. this year. And uh, we look forward to next year's festival as well. If you want to find out more about the Blood in the Snow Film Festival, of course, go to bloodinthesnow.ca, and uh, you can find all the information there. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, you're going to get to hear my interview with Teresa Sutherland, the director of Lovely, Dark, and Deep, right here, Geek Hard on geekcardshow.com. Want to advertise on Geekard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy. It's simple. It's fun. Email us at geekardshow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today. Welcome back to Geek Card. Now back to your host, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back. We're hey. still here. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, yeah no, I'm still here. There we go. Uh, so, of course, last month I got the opportunity and you got the opportunity to go to the Toronto After Dark Film Festival, as we always do every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, while the festival was on. I got a chance to talk to some great directors, filmmakers, and one of those directors, Teresa Sutherland, had her film Lovely, Dark, and Deep there, a really interesting psychological film that I had a lot of fun with, and I got to talk with her about the film and more. Let's take a listen to that interview right now. Welcome to the program, Teresa Sutherland. Hi, thank you. Well, thank you for talking with me today. I uh, got a chance to watch Lovely, Dark, and Deep. Great. Very interesting, very like, like engaging film. For people who hadn't had a chance to check it out, what is the movie all about? It is set in the national parks, and it follows Lennon, who is a backcountry ranger. Her sister went missing when she was very young in that very park. She's been working really hard to get to this position and sort of be in the wilderness. She uses her time to search for her sister, and weird stuff starts happening to her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird stuff starts happening. You start the film off with the quote, you know, I went into the woods to lose my mind and find my soul yeah and like i think about you making this film it's your first feature you're out there in the wilderness of portugal (laughs) and you're shooting this film traveling like two or three locations a day like all over the place and they're all like hours apart so while you were making did you lose your mind in the woods (laughs) i 
might have if we had had more time. (laughs) (laughs) I I took my family with me. It was right when Delta COVID took off. So I was thinking about that too. I had my two-year-old, my husband with me and shooting my first movie in a foreign country. I was just like, we're going, let's do it. (laughs) I don't need to think about anything anymore. (laughs) I just need to do this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now you came up with the idea for this film like 10 years ago right? yeah. yeah you were on the old internet and you started finding out about oh what's creepy oh this is creepy yeah people missing in national parks it's like a major phenomenon right yeah yeah um certainly 10 years ago it was very prominent yeah and, like easy to find on youtube i think it's probably still is it's just i've lost interest now <laughs> <laughs> i figured it out in my mind <laughs> mystery solved there was something called stumble upon do you remember that website you signed up and you they they did where you could just select paranormal Mm. and so i would just select paranormal and hit stumble upon stumble upon and it would just take you to random pages and one of the pages it took me to was like people are fucking going missing in these woods (laughs) like tell me more tell me more let's figure this out (laughs) and then it just sort of the idea just sort of marinated i wrote the winds it was shot then I got pregnant and was very sick and just c- couldn't really move out of bed. And I was like, I'm going to I'm going to write this movie now. I guess. <laughs> and so I wrote it. Yeah. Just like throwing up all the time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I think in that kind of state, that kind of would add to the because you'd be kind of out of it at the time. So to add to this level of like creepiness and what does it all mean that's really it's in there what's the craziest thing you ended up reading on that site about people going missing um probably there's a there was a few stories that stuck with me one was there was some field trip and there were students they were in the woods going like up a mountain and some students were ahead and some students were behind and one i believe it was a girl left the first group and was walking to the second group and no one ever saw her again and i was like like nobody heard anything like how did that happen yeah and then there was another one about a boy he was found alive but like he was five years old or something like that and he was found like 20 miles away the next day and he didn't have like shoes on or stuff like that and he couldn't really like articulate what had happened to him. He wasn't hurt. He disappeared out of, I think it was just like his backyard, but they lived close to like a big wilderness area. And I was just like, that's so spooky too. Like, like that's so weird. Yeah. 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 Just like the, the way it captured my imagination. Certainly I was just like camping was something I grew up doing and tents are scary. And I always wanted to do something (laughs) with a tent. And I was like, this is freaking me out. I have to write something about this. You took that. And you end up telling a really deep emotional story about grief and loss and guilt and the desire to find answers. To mix those two things, to mix the creepiness and the eeriness with the the very grounded drama of someone just wanting to deal with the fact that they've, you know, lost someone in their life. Did you find it easy or hard to mix those two things together, to mix the suspense with this very emotional story? That is something that it just kind of comes naturally to me. I always start from like that emotional place and that place of like, who is this character? What have they done? Like what's driving them? And then once I've sort of got them in my mind, I put them in the place that shit's going to happen to them. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, 
You drive. Let's go. It's like, <laughs> okay, happens. I feel for this character. Let's yeah. fuck up their Let's life. All right. Let's really just <laughs> nail this to the wall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like grief and loss and even just like the answers we don't have in, in everyday life. I'm fascinated by them. I think of them a lot. I don't know if that's not like everybody's just like constantly like, I wonder what is going on all the time and I just want to kind of figure it out. Maybe this is, I'm, I'm processing. You guys are getting to see a lot of like my process. Well, there you go. <laughs> just like emotional process. That's very cool. That's a very, that's a, that's a very vulnerable way of storytelling. That's very cool. <laughs> Looking at this film, like at the beginning of the film, such picturesque beauty. And then probably even like five minutes later, scary as shit. <laughs> and it's the same forest. Was it easy to find both those elements while you were shooting? Yeah, it was all around us, just like gorgeous, like gorgeous stuff. And then we had we shot in Portugal for three weeks, just not a lot of time. And then we had two days, and we shot in Idlewild in California to get some of our drone stuff. And we can use our cast, but we got like the stuff that I was like, I can't get trees right now. I gotta, get, <laughs> I gotta get the action. Yeah. <laughs> so we did a lot of that afterwards. Everywhere we went was beautiful and. And my DP and I talked a lot about like like what influences we loved, and right. we were both huge fans of Godard, and we we're both just like really wanted to figure out how to light night scenes with flashlights, and like just both like how can we do this? And it just felt like really fun. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> but, you know, you think of stuff like Kubrick lighting a film with candles, and you're like, how the fuck did you do that? Barry Lyndon was definitely like something. I'm like, he did it. <laughs> I know it's Kubrick, but yeah. come on, guys, we can do it. Yeah, we can do it. Totally, yeah. <laughs> the lighting always looked very natural in this film. It did feel like the audience gets lost in the woods along with the people in this movie. It freaked me out. Freaked me out. Well, uh, so this was your first feature. Why did you decide to make your first feature? basically such a challenging going we're gonna do it all outside it's gonna be up to like luckily yeah luckily you got three weeks of pretty good weather but you didn't know that was gonna happen i had no idea <laughs> out of the woods moving crews left around. like are you somebody that's like i want as much challenge as possible i think i'm more somebody who just doesn't think of the challenge <laughs> just like here's the script i know the script i know what i want let's go get it and then like you get out there and it's like oh, right, this could happen, or that could happen, or that does happen. And you're like, all right, let's shift, let's shift. I think every single scene we lost shots just from oh, being man. like, no time, no time, gotta go, gotta go. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's do a one shot. Let's, let's just follow her around with the camera. <laughs> like, we can get all of this handheld, right? Let's do that. Um, and the team was just so, like, responsive to that. Our camera operator was incredible at just, like, picking it up and following a lot of times it was just him and Rui and me and we're just like walking off and everybody's like they're doing something <laughs> I honestly just don't think I even thought about it <laughs> well that works out for you definitely here of course Georgina Campbell you saw her in a Black Mirror episode yeah. and you're like oh man I I need to work with her this yes. is the person I want and 
you know, you talked about it, and of course, I've seen the movie, yeah. so I know she brought it. Yeah. This is all kind of on her. Yeah. <laughs> this is all on her shoulders. Like, like yes, there are others, some other actors and stuff, but it's like, if that performance isn't there, you don't have a movie. But with such a short amount of time, do you develop, like, a shorthand on set to get what you need? Because I know she probably already knew what she was going for, but you're shooting it out of context in different parts of the woods. She was incredible to work with, and honestly, we just get there, she'd be like, where are we? <laughs> like, where are we in the script? Yeah. <laughs> like, because we were all over the place. And we talk about it and it'd be like, here's where we are. This is what just happened. This is what's getting ready to happen. And she'd be like, I need a couple minutes if it was an emotional scene. Or she'd just be like, okay, and go get her <laughs> tea or coffee, uh, whatever she got, and chill out until it was time. And then she just came on and a little, I can think like two times I was like, can it be more of like a statement or like something like that? Like just directing like those sorts of things most of the time she was just like i know i got it i'm this character and just like became that person just instantly <laughs> yeah yeah and of course i know you like the sparse dialogue of it all so like she has to give such a subtle performance out there like yeah. every little every little movement means something and, every movement means and something. it's yeah it's such a great performance and i thought nick blood did a great job in the film Nick Blood is one of those actors that I always forget about. And then when I see him in something, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's really good. He's so good. Yes. <laughs> Jackson's role was the longest to cast. Like, oh, yeah? we went to Georgina. She said yes. We went to Y. She said yes. And then we were like, who is going to be Jackson? And we went through a couple people. And then finally, uh, Nick came across my little list. And I looked him up, saw some clips from Euphoria. And I was like, okay, all right. And then we talked, and he's like, I can do this, and, like, tried out some accents. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I was like, yeah, he's got such a good energy. And originally, Jackson, in the script, he's, like, a mountain man. Like, he's, like, big and mm. imposing and, like, a, kind of a scary figure. And Nick came in and was just, like, super charming and just really likable. And I was like, you know, that works, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought the fact that he was kind of an endearing kind of guy made me think the entire time. It's like, something's going to happen with him. I know, right? The other shoe's going to fall with him, you know, sort of thing. I know. I'm thinking, like, let's get somebody who's, like, intimidating. And then that probably would have just been, like, everybody been like, he's fine. Don't worry about that guy. But Nick just coming off and being like, neighbor, you're like, what is he up to? <laughs> what is this guy doing in the woods? Nobody's that nice. Oh, man. But yeah, no, some great performances in this. I got a lot out of this when I was watching, and I think a lot of people, are, when they see this film, are going to get that as well. But, like, your first feature film, get to shoot it in a place like Portugal, where you got probably more availability to stuff than you would have at a national park yes. in the U.S., you know, with the actress you wanted yeah. for the first. Do you think you owe the land a body? I do. I definitely do. Um, I'll wait. Don't worry. Okay. I'm sure I, I mean, we never know, but I have at least a few more years in me. You know, it was, I feel very, very fortunate. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to make sure I leave uh, yes. walking out backwards just uh -huh. to be safe. But uh, my final question here, I think is a really important one. How do you catch a squirrel? <laughs> You climb a tree and act nuts. <laughs> See, I think the question should be amended because I did try that out. Really, it should be, how do you get a squirrel to attack you? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I didn't know you wanted to catch it to be friends. I just thought it's just a general. 
<laughs> oh well, it's been great talking with you, Teresa. As I said, really enjoyed the film. It scared the crap out of me. I'm so happy. Yes, which is what the goal is. So yeah, so mission accomplished there. Uh, I hope you have a great time here Thank at the you. festival screening your film, and uh, I look forward to more people seeing it. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to talk to you. Thank talk you. To you as well. So that was my interview with Teresa Sutherland. Um, the film is not got a release date yet, but uh, keep your eyes out for Lovely Dark and Deep. Very interesting film. But uh, we've come now to the end of another episode, Mr. Green. This is true. This is true. So why don't you tell the good folks all the places they can find us? As always, if you like what we do here, you can find more content over at patreon.com slash geekard. For everybody who participates in that right now, we thank you guys ever so much. You are Thanks. a big, big help uh, with uh, continuing the show. For additional content, you can always check out YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Yes, even Pinterest. Search Geekard Show on any of those platforms and you'll find us there. Of course, check out our website, geekhardshow.com for more news reviews and of course obviously the podcast version of this very show that you're listening to right now because we were not live and uh until that comes back in a few weeks this is the best way to hear it and the best way to do that is to do what andrew is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice beat the itunes the apple podcast google podcast stitcher tuned in spotify wherever you catch your pods and while you're there leave a five-star rating and review yeah, it's always a big help to do that. And as always, if you want to uh, have a conversation with us, because, you know, usually we do live and we have emails and stuff like that. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case this week. But send your emails in during the week and we'll read them on the on our recordings. Absolutely. You can email us geekhardshow at gmail.com. I want to thank Chris Locke, Susan Kent, Jeremy Larder and Teresa Sutherland for coming on the program here tonight for Mr. Green and for the old man. And for Yuri, hope you get better. Yeah, bud. This is Andrew Young saying, if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on geekhardshow.com. <laughs>